Good afternoon. Welcome to Friday's program. The panel uh, loving your company as always. We have Sally Winley and first time panellist in Wellington, Andy McCombs. Um, now, first up, local communities objecting to alcohol being sold in their neighbourhoods will have a greater say as the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Amendment Bill set to become law passed its third reading yesterday. A number of changes, including allowing any person or group to object to a licence application, removing the ability to cross-examine at alcohol licensing hearings. Justice Minister Ginny Anderson said it was a huge win for communities that were struggling with the widespread and damaging effects of alcohol-related harm. Hospitality NZ says it'll create immense uncertainty for licence holders and undermine otherwise responsible businesses. With us is Dr Grant Hewison, Communities Against Alcohol Harm Secretary and Lawyer. Dr Hewison, kia ora. Kia ora. What difference will this make to local communities? Well, look, Wellison, the main thing... Grant, I am very sorry. We're going to have to sort of get another line for you there um, because you are breaking up. We'll just try you again. If you could just move one metre one way or the other, Grant, can you hear me now? Nope, we're going to go back to that. Um, this certainly been a big issue, hasn't it, uh, Sally? That notion of actually uh, having a lot of outlets in one uh, confined space. Yeah, but I mean, how confined is it? And uh, I'm a bit concerned about about the change because um, hosp- I'm actually a bit on hospitality New Zealand's side. Um, they say that. That in 1989, there were about 3,000 licenses across New Zealand, and now there are 11,000. But since 1986, alcohol consumption has been decreasing, and it's down 25%. Now, that comes from Hospitality New Zealand. So I wonder if they could maybe make more legislative moves in other areas about education and prevention and advertising well, rather point. than targeting these um, bottle well, liquor Graham's, licenses. I understand mm. Graham's with us now. Graham, you're there. Yes, yes, I hope I'm back. No, you're loud, loud and clear. Wonderful, Graham. You heard Sally there, but paint the picture for us. Give an example of what is happening in a community. Well, look, um, uh, with respect to alcohol-related harm in our communities is, is significant, um, particularly in our vulnerable communities. Um, you have family violence, you have road deaths, you have um, acute and, um, and long-lasting health effects. It, it, is, it is the number one uh, drug that we, could, we, we have in New Zealand that causes the most harm. So look, um, you know, uh, 10 years ago, the government, national government did pass this uh, legislation, the Sound Supply of Alcohol Act, that has a really clear objective to reduce alcohol-related harm. It was built on the back of some excellent work by the Law Commission, uh, Sir Geoffrey Palmer, and uh, it put in place a system to um, you know, meet that, that object. But what, what the key part of um, that, that legislation were these local alcohol policies. So these are intended for communities across the country with different needs, different issues, to listen to the industry, to listen to the communities and make good decisions about what, what were the best ways of minimising alcohol-related harm. And look, Auckland Council uh, wrote their LAP way back then. It's been appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court um, and, and found at the end of that process to have been reasonable. 
And it, it made a reduction, for example, on off-license, so supermarket bottle store sales to close at 9pm instead of 11pm, a really reasonable measure, and it would have had a, a significant effect in terms of reducing alcohol-related harm. We can't wait um, for that to come in. This, this bill will make those LAPs um, uh, like okay. alcohol policy so much more valuable. All right, yeah. uh, uh, Grant, uh, you've um, you heard what Sally says. Sally, bring this bring yeah, um, Grant, as a lawyer, how do you feel about not being able to challenge you know, those who object to an application? Well, look, I think, I think it's, it's the model we use in the Resource Management Act. So it's not like this is brand new. In the Resource Management Act processes, at the council level where decisions are made, largely with lots of community input, we don't allow cross-examination, neither of the applicant and neither of um, you know, the people submitting, uh, the community submitting. The panel can still make questions. So there's a, thing, a, a body called the District Licensing Committee. They will still question applicants. They will still question objectors and agencies, and the information will be there to be heard but it just makes that community input so much more valuable um, if we remove cross-examination. Sally, I know you want to come back, but let's bring Andy uh, McCombs into Wellington there. Andy. Yeah, um, I'm pro the bill. Um, I, was, I was listening to speeches on both sides, um, for and against, and the opposition to the bill seemed to be that they couldn't define what community meant, um, as in someone from uh, Wellington could um, submit against a liquor license in another city, if, if, I'm, um, if I've read that correctly. But I don't believe that that would be a case. Um, maybe you've got a bit more of an idea around that, Grant? Yeah, look, um, uh, currently under the current law, um, individual objectors are challenged quite frequently, oh, you, look, you don't live close enough. You live just outside the area of interest. Um, we've got Māori wardens that are challenged almost with every objection they make to, 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 about their role and what their, their right is to be um, involved in these processes. Um, so, so at the moment, there's a lot of resistance from um, applicants to any involvement by the community in those sort of licensing processes. What this bill will do is remove that standing status requirement. We will not see people in Wellington object to licences in uh, Tomaranui or, or elsewhere. That just isn't, isn't, in my view, going to happen. What it means is that, that if you live within two kilometres or just a little bit outside or you have a strong interest because you, you, your children go to the school nearby uh, or you go to the local morai or connected to the local morai, your ability to object and, and raise concerns um, will now be far more easier under this bill. Right, so I don't, I don't see a significant change there. I think we'll just... It'll just make it easier for the community to participate. Uh, yeah. hey, um, Grant, speaking of community, I think around the corner from me, I've got a, a bottle shop that's been there for about 30 years. Um, if some community groups decided they didn't want it there, could they get it ditched? Could they get its licence revoked? Well, they've got to, they've got to show the case. Um, so they've got to bring evidence and, and information to a DLC to say why this licensee who's been there for a long time um, might might not be appropriate going forward. Um, they may have failed a uh, you know, police check or they, they may have uh, uh, sold to someone who is underage or intoxicated. So there are, are occasions where it's appropriate for the community to raise some concerns about the way uh, a business is being operated. But what if this um, bus- excuse me, but what if the liquor shop is just bumbling along as it normally does? 
but some people decide they don't want it. Can they still well, put yeah. a case forward? Um, people can object if they, if they um, in this case, they have an interest. Um, but look, the, the other part of the equation is there are three agencies who oversee ev- every ap- uh, application that goes through, the police, the medical officer and the inspector. And if things are being run well, if the, if the applicant is doing what they need to do, they won't oppose. And that sends a pretty strong signal to both the, the objectors and the district licensing committee that there has to be something reasonably serious here going on if we're going to consider uh, taking that forward to a hearing. So that, that system is in place, and we come across it uh, reasonably frequently in the, in the work that we do. So, again, um, I, I don't think the industry has a huge amount to fear here. I think what, what, it, what this will do, particularly through the LAPs, is bring in, bring in rules that apply across the board to everyone. For example, bringing down those hours from 11pm to 9pm. All right, very good. Thanks for being with us, Dr Hewison. Uh, kia ora. It's uh, Grant Hewison there, Communities Against Alcohol Harm Secretary and Lawyer. So that news, uh, pretty big news too actually. Local communities objecting to alcohol being sold in their neighbourhoods will have a greater say uh, that law passed as third reading yesterday. It is 17 past for the panel with Andy McCombs in Wellington. Sally Winley is here in Auckland. Now, checking work emails before bed. The work group chat popping off throughout your weekend away. Work on the mind all the time and it's expected. In Australia, a bill has been submitted, the Right to Disconnect Bill. It's become quite a big issue there. It would give employees a legal right to ignore emails and texts that arrive outside of work hours. Here's one text that just come through to us. My supervisor used to email me at 4 a.m. Consequently, I stopped taking my phone out of the car when I get home. She is leaving, so... We don't know how lucky we are, as you played earlier, is appropriate. <laughs> With us is Sue Elson, a careers expert in Australia. Sue, welcome to the panel in New Zealand. Thank you, Wallace. Great to be here. What an extraordinary thing. Um, so uh, giving employees a right to ignore emails from the boss, um, some would say that's outrageous. Well, it's not outrageous in countries overseas. There's already a number of European countries who've bought in this right to disconnect. It's even in the Philippines, so an Asian area has also picked it up. And this has come about as a result of a Senate inquiry into work and care. So a lot of employees have caring responsibilities for obviously younger children, but also other adults, and trying to juggle all of this can be a challenge. Isn't it just part of being an engaged employee? You know, I get a, uh, I work nine to five. I get an, e- I get an email from the boss at seven thirty. It's not a problem at all for most of those listening to the panel, Sue. Mm. Look, I think we've become so accustomed to always being on, and the upshot of that is that many people are becoming anxious and always feeling like that they can never disconnect. So. Obviously, the best way to make any change in society is through education. If that doesn't work, the next one is legislation. And the Greens have brought this forward. It's not yet passed. It's 
a component of a number of industrial relations reforms that will possibly get through by the end of the year. And even if you look at a statistic between males and females, and this could be a little bit controversial, but in Australia, the average female spends four hours and 31 minutes a day doing unpaid work, whereas a male will do three hours and 12 minutes a day. And 42% of males um, or half of males spend time on housework and 70% of females yeah. spend time on housework. Okay. So I don't know, maybe the government's oh. trying to give us all a fair shot at this. <laughs> I'm going to put this out to the nation in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Do you support the right to disconnect off from work when you're at home? Yes or no? Text me, 2101. Do you support the right to disconnect from work? Uh, Andy, let's uh, bring you in. Andy McComb. Oh, I'm absolutely pro this. Um, I've worked in a, in a workplace where the manager won't stop emailing um, 10 o'clock at night and on holiday you'll still receive emails. It's <clears throat> yeah, non-stop. Um, so... Yeah, I guess the only it's it's an awkward thing that you don't want to tell someone that they're a workaholic um, and to to put down the the laptop. But if it was legislated, that would just put the ball in someone else's court, and you could totally disconnect. And I agree about the anxiety that it brings when you um, you end a work day at five o'clock and you think you've you've got everything wrapped up in a nice bow, and then you rock up the next day and you've got forty emails sent <laughs> from eight o'clock till till midnight. Okay, so that's a big yes, Sue, stay there. Let's bring in our other panellist, Sally. Hi, Sue. I I feel that that's been too much of a nana state. Why legislate everything? I reckon it needs to be in a contract between the employer and uh, the person who works for them to have some sort of agreement, whether you do or don't, and um, why, why have to pass a law to make it happen and one size doesn't fit all um, I'm a journalist and I think of an example when the Queen died I mean my goodness I wasn't going to sit on my laurels at home and go oh no there's a law that says I don't have to work I actually wanted to come into work so um, so how do you react to that sort of comment? Oh well look I'm self-employed as well so I'm on 24-7 they're just the same there's one and a half million self-employed Australians, so obviously they don't have the right to disconnect. I defy anybody to say that when they go home, their bosses' words, voices, ideas are not swimming around in their head, Uh, definitely. And also, if we're not available after hours, does that mean that we can't check our emails or take a personal phone call while we're at work during the day? Are we going to count that as well? So, yes, I can definitely see the argument for the nanny state. I guess... What something like this does is it opens up the conversation. And so if it's part of that work contract where you are aware that you are supposed to be available, that's fantastic. But let's say you're earning $25 an hour and you work 10 hours a week. Is it reasonable to be expected to be contacted at multiple other times? And yeah. for somebody if you're paid. Like, if you're paid, yes. Yeah. yeah, big response here. Um Absolutely no work emails after hours. Only acceptable in an emergency situation in which you'd ring. Um, Sally's example is specious. Obviously, there would be special exceptions. Um, Gordon says, bloody oath. Of course. No emails, texts, phone calls outside of work. End of story, says Gordon. Um, Absolutely, yes, unless you're recompensed for being on call. So it's on its way in Australia, is it? So can you see it working in New Zealand as well? I can't 
the only reason why it wouldn't work in any country because what I would like to think it does is open up the conversation and make it part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So because there's a process in place, when you start out at work, you go through an onboarding process or you have a work contract and all of these things are outlined. So if it facilitates that process, fantastic. However, HR or human resources people already have a huge amount of compliance to go by here in Australia. And if you had to monitor, oh, Mary had three minutes on a phone call, therefore she needs to be paid a minimum of an hour for that three-minute phone call. I mean, that is where it could become quite ridiculous. Oh, let's bring Andy in. Yeah, no, I'm still sticking with my answer of um, yeah. absolutely. But it's funny um, going from the the self employed perspective. Employed perspective, um, of course, like you you want to keep that money coming in. You want to be accessible and open and um, able to work. But as an employee, oh, there's nothing worse than than getting a, a late email or a, or a text message or um, uh, once a phone call that that went unanswered at, at seven o'clock at night on a Friday. I must um, admit, I must admit, Sally Wheelie, you know, it's eight thirty at night. You're watching, you're having a glass of wine, you're watching Downton Abbey or Drive to Survive, Series 5. Next minute, ping! Oh, by the way, um, can you uh, do this uh, first thing first thing in the morning? You go, well, oh, what I'd come say, on. No, I'd say, no, I'm out fishing, the weather's lovely, and no, I, I can't. I can't do it first thing in the morning. I'm rusted on to start at this time, so there we go. Easy as that. Yeah. Hey, it's ga- it's garnered a huge response, Sue. So thank you very much for um, stirring up the debate here in New Zealand. Yeah, you're welcome. One other quick thing I'd just like to add there, uh, going back to Andy's point, what I would like to see is more work-supplied devices. So that's phones, tablets and laptops. So that if you were going to go on holiday, the whole work piece could go with the device. So rather than using our own devices at work and then automatically seeing work's emails at the same time we see our own emails oh. and text messages and so on, I think if we had separate devices, that would be a really good... That is a whole other oh. topic, Sue. <laughs> work to supply your iPads. Unbelievable. You, I, I, we'll, we'll get you back on for that. But, but <laughs> holiday means holiday, so you're not working. All right, Sally. That's <laughs> Sue Wilson, their careers expert in Australia. Can you believe it? They've um, a bill has been submitted in Australia, the right to disconnect. And gosh, what what a response! Bosses' emails. My boss sends rants and ravings without my permission to my private email. I use block, send, and delete. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's Donna. No, um, no, Donna. In Germany, it is illegal for work email to be sent. Um, almost everyone in New Zealand police has an iPhone. It's a disaster for downtime for hardworking police. It's shocking. Another one here. I run a team of 10 in a dynamic industry. Things change hour to hour. I often send emails and messages late at night because it's my job to make sure they are informed. We have an agreement that they are not expected to reply or even read them until they're back on work time. And guess what? It works. Big response. Wonderful. 27 past four, Sally Wenley and Andy McCombs on the panel. Now to this, briefly. Visitors to a London gallery have been asked to surrender their phones in order to reconnect with their environment. Kind of ties back to the last topic, doesn't it? Whilst the Serpentine Gallery in London is doing this as part of an exhibition, they are reminded to hand over their phones at the door to break our reliance on technology and reconnect. 
the phone-free exhibition policy has been trialled in other galleries. So is it a fantastic initiative or is this just virtue signalling? Let's go around the panel on this. Okay, Sally, you're off to see an exhibition and the person, at, let's say Tapapa or the or, or the Orkengar Gallery says, um, enjoy the exhibition. By the way, can I just grab your phone? Uh, enjoy your hour. I would be fine with that. I was actually recently at the Auckland Art Gallery and the lovely Lindau and um, oh, yes. some other classic artists. And you're there to absorb and enjoy. And there were other people with phones, and it was bloody annoying. They're there clicking away. And I feel that you can't absorb the atmosphere as much. Why put it on your phone? It's not going to replicate what you've actually seen with your eyes as well. But, some, but sometimes, Andy, I mean, Sally's got a point there, but you're going through the gallery, you're seeing the beautiful Lindau's and, uh, or the Gordon Walters or the, the McCann's or the Hauteries, you know, all, all that. Mm. But sometimes you just want to break and get back on a TikTok, don't you? Just for five minutes. <laughs> oh, just no, to break. I mean, I love not. art. No, I love I, art. I, I, but you want your Instagram. You want, you want a bit of... <laughs> Influence action at the gallery, don't you? Well, I wasn't going to side with Sally until you said that. Now I'm all for banning phones everywhere. That's, that's <laughs> terrible. Go enjoy the art. <laughs> really? Is it that black and white for you both? Well, yeah. I, I, I think I, I would um, feel a bit anxious away from my phone or if, if um, you see something that you want to remember later, you'd take a photo of it and then look it up. So I, I feel like that's mm. a, a good resource to have, but... Yeah, just maybe the conversation should be... Is it too ca- cut and dry, Andy, yeah, just for, for, it, for a gallery, say to Papa, to say, look, enjoy the exhibition at the National Gallery, but we will take your phone for one hour? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it, it would definitely be going uh, just a little bit too far, but maybe we, the conversation should be to encourage people to get off their phones more and, and yeah, touch some grass, uh, enjoy the good art. Good idea. I hear what you're saying, Andy. Um I was fortunate enough to go to the Sistine um, Chapel in the Vatican um, a few years ago, and they have six million people through there every year, and they they have banned phones. One is for copyright, but the other is flashing cameras and the damage they cause to the ceiling and everything. But all these people just click, click, flash, flash, flash. They weren't the modern phones, Andy. I'm showing you my age. Um, <laughs> but the noise. And then the guard saying, no phone, no phone. And it really affected the atmosphere. And it quite upset me. All these people trying to barge around and shove phones. And why not just make the most of the moment and absorb it and enjoy it and yeah. feel lucky to be there? So you were saying... Um, what what as human beings have we come to when we can't even go into the Sistine Chapel and put down our damn phones? Exactly. All right, fair enough. All right, we are with Sally Winley and Andy McCombs on the panel this afternoon. Power Ballad Friday, very, very shortly. It is time for headlines. Thank you, Wallace. Actually, um, I must confess, yeah. while we're in the chapel, I actually sometimes I'm at church and I'll look at my Facebook <gasps> and when we peek. Okay, so that's been nation, that's now me. nationwide. Uh, <laughs> the church pastor will be listening, my mother. <laughs> you know, if it's just getting a bit long, and I'm like, oh, someone's messaged me. Fair and enough, I'm, too. You know, anyway, <laughs> you might be struck by lightning. Didn't, didn't your phone go off yesterday, Madama, while you were oh. reading the headlines? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Happy birthday, by the way. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Lovely, lovely panelists today. Uh, yeah. You guys are the best.